0: Job chapter 21, the entire chapter. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Then Job answered and said, Keep listening to my words, and let this be your comfort. Bear with me, and I will speak. And after I have spoken, mock on. As for me... Is my complaint against man? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be appalled and lay your hand over your mouth. When I remember, I am dismayed and shuddering ceases my flesh. Why do the wicked live, reach old age and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear and no rod of God is upon them. Their bull breeds without fail. Their cow calves and does not miscarry. They send out their little boys like a flock and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and the lyre and rejoice to the sound of the pipe. They spend their days in prosperity and in peace they go down to Sheol. They say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. What is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what profit do we get if we pray to Him? Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand? The counsel of the wicked is far from me. How often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out? That their calamity comes upon us, upon them? That God distributes pains in His anger? That they are like straw before the wind, and like chaff that the storm carries away? You say God stores up their iniquity for their children. Let Him pay it out to them, that they may know it. Let their own eyes see their destruction. Let them drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what do they care for their houses after them, when the number of their months is cut off? Will any teach God knowledge, seeing that He judges those who are on high? One dies in full vigor, being wholly at ease and secure. His pails full of milk, And the marrow of his bones moist. Another dies in bitterness of soul. Never having tasted of prosperity. They lie down alike in the dust. And the worms cover them. Behold I know your thoughts. And your schemes to wrong me. For you say where is the house of the prince? Where is the tent in which the wicked lived? Have you not asked those who traveled the roads? And do you not accept their testimony that the evil man is spared in the day of calamity, that he is rescued in the day of wrath? Who declares his ways to his face? And who repays him for what he has done? When he is carried to the grave, watch is kept over his tomb. The clouds of the valley are sweet to him. All mankind follows after him, and those who go before him are innumerable. How then? How then? Will you comfort me with empty nothings? There is nothing left of your answers but falsehood. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we consider the arguments made by Job and by his so-called wise friends so far, we can say they are defending two completely opposite points of view. Job's wise friends are trying to make the case that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. This is their general rule. And this led them to deny the mystery of Job's suffering. While Job is trying to tell them that the opposite is the case and that bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Though much like his friends, he does exaggerate his point of view. But Job has a little more evidence on his side than his friends. Because the proof is in the pudding. The proof that the righteous suffer is standing right in front of them in Job. And also he tells them to look around. Notice reality and get out of your box. What you claim as being the norm is not really the norm. But they are too busy sitting in their lofty tower to ever look down to notice that the righteous do suffer. They are isolated in their own heads. We ought to be careful that we are not living in a box without coming to terms with the truth that we are a pilgrim people. And that this world is not where all our hope is to be found. So Job answered Zophar and said, keep listening to my words and let this be your comfort. He is telling them to be quiet. Anything is better than to listen to what they have to say because they are saying nothing. Right now for Job, their open ears is better than their open mouths. He is telling them to listen to him. Bear with me and I will speak and after I have spoken, mock on. Continue with your assaults against me. But at least listen to what I have to say. Was his complaint against them? Was it against mankind? No. It was against God. And if the Almighty God is pouring out his wrath on Job, it is not surprising that he is impatient and troubled. See, so far... Job has not cursed nor turned away from God and his goodness. He has called on God to be his advocate and vindicator in chapters 16 and 17. And at the pinnacle of his faith in chapter 19, Job showed confidence that one day he would see God, his Redeemer, after death. But now we will begin to see a different side to Job. We will see less of the back and forth between Hopelessness and hope in God and more of Job questioning God's goodness which would lead him to challenge God. Here he makes clear that his complaint is against God. God controls all things so all that has happened to me must be his fault. And for this reason they ought to look at him with pity as they consider all that he has gone through. Consider that he has gone through a living hell and that they ought to be appalled and lay their hands over their mouths in awe. This reminds me of the cross. You can imagine the awe of the centurion who heard Jesus' last cry on the cross and after Jesus gave up his last breath and died, he confessed, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Certainly, this man was innocent. He did no wrong. Job is telling them to look at him and see that he is innocent. And what he is going through is undeserved. And this all foreshadows the undeserved suffering necessary for grace. Their mouths should have been stopped in his presence because even he would say, When I remember, when he remembers what he has gone through and the fact that he is suffering the fate that the wicked deserve, He is dismayed or distressed, and shuddering seizes his flesh that is shaking, convulsing like he is having a seizure. So he asks, Why does the wicked not suffer this way? Why doesn't the wicked suffer this way? He observes that first, the wicked live good and happy lives. Secondly, The wicked prosper and hardly see calamity. And thirdly, the wicked live and die as legends. First, the wicked live good and happy lives. Christians can often relate to this sentiment, especially these days, because he is saying just look around. If what Job's friends are saying is true that the wicked suffer, then why do the wicked live? They don't die. They grow old. Didn't Zophar say before in chapter 20, verse 5, that their celebrating is cut short and their joy is brief only for a moment? And on top of that, they grow mighty in power. They own businesses. They have a wonderful place in the government, a powerful place in the government. And they are the elites of society. Also, their offspring are established in their presence and their descendants before their eyes. That is to say, they keep reproducing and their children are born into wealth with silver spoons in their mouths. They go on to get good jobs because of their connections and they graduate from prestigious colleges and universities. And on and on it goes. This is the opposite of what Bildad claimed back in chapter 18, that the wicked have no prosperity or progeny, That is his descendants, his children among their people. In fact, it is Job who lost all of his children. This proves that what they are saying is false. And there is safety in their houses. They live without fear of being invaded by robbers the way Job was attacked. They amass wealth and property and it seems that God never punishes them for their wickedness and how they got to the place that they are in. No rod of God is upon them to judge them. Remember how Job pleaded with the Lord that he would take his rod away from him. And it seems like the covenant blessings promised to God's people is given to the wicked. Think of the promise we find in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 4. That if God's people obey, then there will be fruit in the womb, fruit of the ground, and fruit of cattle. The increase of their herds. He says of the wicked that their bull breeds without fail. Their cow calves and does not miscarry. And they send out their little boys like a flock and their children dance. They live a life of joy, singing to the tambourine and the lyre and rejoice to the sound of a pipe. They have a happy family life. You can imagine them dancing around to the Beatles in their living rooms. They spend their days in prosperity and in peace they go down to Sheol. The wicked often die peacefully in their, in their homes and on their beds, surrounded by their families. All the while, they have spent their lives rejecting God. How many decent people we know who live this way? Maybe it is you. There is nothing wrong with peace prosperity and of course we seek to build happy homes nothing wrong with dancing to the beatles in your living room but how many people do we know who have well ordered and happy homes live in peace and prosperity all their lives they they never knew struggle they have been blessed with every earthly blessing blessed with family and some standard of morals Yet all the while they reject the same God who has cared for them all this time. But we look at them and what is going on through our minds? We notice that they have good family values and so considering our climate today, we either pass them over and think, well, they don't need Jesus, their lives are okay. Or we come to find out that they reject the notion that they need a Savior. Look at my life. Why do I need to be saved? What do I need to be saved from? Everything is in order. Everything is going smoothly. Notice how Job provides evidence that they are wicked when he says, they say to God, depart from us. We do not desire the knowledge of your ways. They sing along with Frank Sinatra. I did it my way, right? Right? I made up my own rules. I have my own way of thinking. I came up with my own laws and one of them being, I just mind my own business and I'll be fine. See, being wicked in the Bible is not always about living an outwardly wicked life. You can be wicked and still live morally as it relates to your relationships with other people and yet reject the knowledge of God and His ways. David says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. Why? For you are the God of my salvation. But the wicked would ask, what is the Almighty that we should serve him? Who is he? And what is the point of serving him? Who does he think he is? What do I get out of it? And what profit do we get if we pray to Him? It is all about me, me, me. Notice how close this is to the modern day prosperity gospel that tries to teach people and attract people with what they can get out of serving God rather than serve God because He is God. And this is the same attitude that is tied to the contemporary worship movement. What can I get out of worship? Ignoring what they actually get out of worship. And that is a supernatural encounter with God. That is the danger. When we think that we have everything figured out, we can conclude that we don't need God. Behold, is not their prosperity in their hand. Didn't they make themselves rich without God's help? Didn't they build their own empires with their own hands? Well, Job would think that is foolish. That leads him to conclude that the counsel of the wicked is far from him. It doesn't relate to him, and I don't think that Job would consider trading places with the wicked because this life is not all that there is. And Job was not the only one who reasoned this way. Listen to Asaph in Psalm 73. He says this, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches, all in vain. Have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence? How often have we looked around and noticed how unbelievers seem to live good and happy lives without care, living in pleasure and prosperity, how often are we tempted to covet our neighbor's wealth, lifestyle, relationships, you name it. We look at their families and say, they have nice and happy homes. I'm the Christian and it seems like my life is a mess. I thought the covenant promises were for me. But one of the first things that we is that life becomes more difficult when you become a Christian. The Christian life can be compared to a rose in bloom. It is beautiful. It is full of fragrance and life. It brings joy. We wouldn't trade it for a dandelion. Yet, just like a rose, the Christian life is never without thorns. Secondly, the wicked prosper and hardly see calamity. They hardly fall under judgment, that is the judgment of God in this world. Zophar was wrong when he said that the wicked man's portion is dragged off in the day of God's wrath. And what Bildad said, that the light of the wicked is put out, is not true. How often is it that the lamp of the wicked is put out, that their calamity comes upon them, that God distributes pains in his anger? Not very often at all, according to Job. And how often are they to be considered like straw before the wind and like chaff that the storm carries away? This reminds us of the wording of Psalm chapter 1 and how the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. Is Job disagreeing with God? Not necessarily. He is just saying that it doesn't seem that way right now. They will be carried away, but not yet. One day the Lord will separate the wheat from the chaff, but this lies sometime in the future. And remember, they said that the wicked will be childless with no heir to their wealthy estates because God will cut them off. So after Job disproves this claim and the fact that the wicked live long lives without punishment, he anticipates that they will come back with God stores up their iniquity for their children. They will have to pay for it. The children will pay for the sins of their father. But he says, let him, let the wicked man pay it out to them. That they may know it. Let their own eyes see their destruction. Let them drink of the wrath of the Almighty. He's saying, let the wicked man pay for his own wickedness. It doesn't matter if his children pay for it. He doesn't care for his family anyway. After he's gone, what does he care? He's only seeking to serve himself. They don't care about what happens to their families after they die. What is the point of that? So to summarize what Job is trying to prove is that his friends do not know God's ways as they have claimed. They insisted that they knew that only the wicked suffer, so Job must be wicked. But he says, will any teach God knowledge, seeing that he judges those who are on high? This means he even charges his angels with error or puts no trust in them, as Eliphaz claimed. Then how do they know whether or not he will cause the righteous to suffer in this world? They don't know. Because God is in control of all things. And he decides who suffers and who prospers. Who lives and who dies. And so he compares two deaths. He compares how the wicked die and how the righteous die. The wicked remains healthy all his life right up until his death. The wicked dies in full vigor. He was prosperous all his life, so this means he probably benefited from a good pension that he enjoyed after he retired. He was wholly at ease and secure, probably dying peacefully and quickly without suffering pain. His pails were full of milk. He left behind some wealth for his family, and the marrow of his bones were moist. His body was still intact, never suffering from an intruding disease. There is no deformity in his appearance of his Corpse when you show up to the viewing hours, while the righteous dies in bitterness of soul. Think of all that was taken from Job, never knowing prosperity. And they both die, buried side by side, and the worms cover them both. And when you compare their lives, who suffered under God's judgment, by all appearances? It seems like the righteous. And who lived prosperous? Who lived long and healthy lives? Who received God's blessings in this life? Those who refused to bless God. Those who turned away from God. That is the wicked. Now something that is important to understand and what Job doesn't quite understand is God's common grace toward believers and unbelievers alike. How God makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And how God's kindness is meant to lead the unbeliever to repentance. Because the way things are right now will not last. Thirdly, the wicked live and die as legends. He says, hey... I know what you're thinking. I know what you're talking about. I know that you're talking about me. And I know you want to turn this around on me. I know what you're saying to yourself. Wicked people suffer. Where is the house of the prince? Where is the tent in which the wicked lived? This is what Bildad said back in chapter 18, verses 15 to 21. And how all that, all that the wicked possess will be destroyed. So the wicked lose everything. And since Job has lost everything, then he must be wicked. But all of these claims do not express reality. We cannot judge someone's spiritual state by what we see or by their success or their circumstances in life. This is deeply pastoral, isn't it? We are to be careful that we do not presume About others who have suffered loss, or presume about others who are living nice and tidy lives. Because he says, Ask around, get out of your bubble, get out of the bubble of your simple religious system. This is not reality. Have you asked those who travel the roads, and do you not accept their testimony that the evil man is spared in the day of calamity, that he is rescued? In the day of wrath and no one would declare to the wicked man's face that his ways are evil because everyone is afraid of what he might do to them and so he is never held accountable for what he has done and yes the wicked will die but they will die in peace surrounded and adored by many the masses will turn out for the funeral they will weep and worship them There will be memorials held for them. They will have guards watching over their tombs. The clods, these are lumps of earth or hills of the valley, are sweet to him. All mankind follows after him, and those who go before him are innumerable. Wicked men are popular. Just turn on the TV. They live their best lives now, which means the next life is not going to be so good. The wicked who are popular leaders just give the people what they want instead of what they need. The crowds love and adore them. This is why you never judge someone's faithfulness based on how many people attend their funeral or how many people love them or like them. This reminds me of a foremost biblical theologian who was a seminary professor uh, and pastor by the name of Gerhardus Voss. He was a minister in the Peace USA before and after the founding of the OPC, and he taught at Princeton Seminary for over 40 years, faithfully teaching and defending God's word against the liberal takeover. When he died, he only had six people at his funeral. Two of his children, two friends from a local Methodist church, and two ministers from the OPC. No one from the seminary nor the denomination in which he f- served faithfully showed up. He wasn't popular. Oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, remaining faithful means you won't be popular and you won't have a lot of friends. So Job makes his final rebuke to his friends in this speech. How then will you comfort me with empty nothings? He circles back to the beginning and reminds them that their silence is a better comfort to him than their empty words that they have been speaking. There is nothing left of your answers but falsehood. They teach lies. Just look around and you will notice that good people often suffer while bad people often do quite well in life. So we ought to avoid presuming that we can tell where someone's heart is just by observing their situation. Now, how do we assess Job's conclusions here? First, I think we need to strike a balance. The sun rises on the good and evil, meaning good things happen to good and bad people. And rain falls on the just and the unjust, meaning Bad things happen to good and bad people. Yes, as we look around, we will notice that the wicked often prosper and the righteous suffer. But also it can go the other way. What we are to consider here is the realm of common grace. There are things that unbelievers and believers share in common outside the kingdom of heaven, outside the church. For Job, it was outside the promises which would be later given to Israel as a nation. We're all victims of the fall. Things are not the way they ought to be. People get sick. People go bankrupt. They lose their homes, their jobs, their families. We live in an imperfect world that we all share in common, believer and unbeliever alike. But secondly... Let us consider Psalm 73, because it is a good psalm to understand how we ought to respond and how we ought to view the good life of the wicked. After Asaph spoke of his own struggle with this and how the wicked often prosper, he found a solution. He said, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned the wicked man's end. Everything seems like they're going okay for the wicked for now, but it is not for long. But as for me, my answer is found in the house of the Lord, the sanctuary of our God, because God is my refuge. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Is this how we approach the Lord's Day each week? When we gather with God's people in the house of God to taste the goodness of God in worship, hear His word preached and respond with praise, do we come to the same conclusion that much of the world is happy but only for now? My joy is found here. It is found before the throne of God. What they have right now is just mere appearances. Things seem okay outwardly, but there is more going on behind the scenes. And our only comfort and refuge is found in God. Ultimately, it is found in His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. For there is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Because, beloved, the description of the wicked's prosperity is what we all covet. The description of the wicked man that Job describes here is all of us. Here. Sometimes we wish we could trade places. But we covet it for no reason. Because our portion is in the highest heavens. The riches of grace and glory are found only in Christ. We ought to say with David, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Are we praising him for rescuing us from the day of his wrath? While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the wicked. He died for us. See, Job was correcting his friend's understanding of the here and now. Yes, there is a moral order that God has put in place. But that moral order has not been fully and perfectly set up yet. The kingdom of God, where that moral order is set up perfectly, has not been fully realized yet. And it won't be until the end of all things. Those who have rejected the free offer of salvation in the gospel, the free offer of refuge in Jesus Christ, they're only enjoying life for now. But it will not be as it is right now, always. And as a believer, you may be going through a lot today. But if your hope is in the one who suffered on your behalf to redeem you, it will not always be as it is for you right now. Think of who Jesus was surrounded by in his life and while he hung on a cross. Jesus would have a right to say with Asaph and Jeremiah, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? He was surrounded by corrupted leaders and their soldiers. He was surrounded by corrupted religious leaders who were getting rich by stealing from widows. Jesus, above all, could relate. The pure and holy, blameless Son of God who took on flesh and walked through our sin-sick world. He watched as the wicked prospered while he suffered. His body was torn to the point where his skin and flesh would have exposed his bones he died a painful and agonizing death and it would only be a handful who would go out to bury him Joseph of Arimathea Nicodemus and the two women Mary his mother and Mary Magdalene saw where he was buried from a distance not much of a burial not for one who was to be exalted as king of all creation soon afterward There were no crowds of followers following a procession to his tomb. Not even his disciples were there. Now he did have two guards at his tomb, but that was so the disciples would not steal his body. Little did they know they were too afraid to do even that. Jesus was not that popular at the time of his death. So you can't judge by appearances because Christ would be proven victorious three days later. And do you realize what happened when he died? All who have faith in Christ died with him that day. Your sins buried, never to be remembered again. And now you are forever joined to him that you may never have to face what the wicked will face on the day of judgment that is approaching. As Paul says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So now, beloved, hear the words of Peter. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, that is the wicked. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us, who were unrighteous, to God. Amen.